Hello and welcome to the London Node User Group podcast. We're eight weeks into lockdown here in London. And in this show, we're going to talk to Stevie Buckley about the state of London jobs markets. Before I play the interview, I would like to remind you all that on the 27th of May, we have a very special remote Elnug. It'll be 11 years to the day since Ryan Dole made his first commit to Node. I'm told there will be cake. If you have a story to share about how you've used Node in the last 11 years, please send it to us in video form so we can use it on the night. I'm here with Stevie Buckley. Stevie, would you like to introduce yourself? Morning, Simon. Uh, Stevie Buckley. I uh, currently am the director of talent at a company called Primitive, which are a startup in London. Uh, I am also the co-founder of Honest Work, which we might come to later, which is uh, currently on pause. And uh, I also used to run the uh, Hacker News London meetup. And that's me. Brilliant. I think you're a good person to be talking about the uh, the current state in the the market at the moment. So, just to just to get an idea of um, where we are, we want to we want to talk about the pandemic. But I think there's a few things that preceded the pandemic that um, had an effect on where we are now. And I, I think the big ones IR35 on that. I um, it doesn't affect everyone, but I think it, it is starting to have an effect on the permanent market as well. So. Um, do you want to give a brief introduction to IR35 or do you want, to, do you want me to give a brief introduction to IR35? Let's hear your perspective. Okay, so my understanding is that it's it's the government's way of finding, determining if you're a full-time employee or you're a, a short-term employee, basically. The, the government want that if you're a short-term employee, you can have certain tax benefits, but as a long-term employee, they don't want you to have those same tax benefits. Um. So as a contractor, you get your contract reviewed to see if it's inside or outside of IR35. You want it to be outside of IR35 so that you don't come under being a permanent employee effectively. Um, is, is that, are we in agreement so far? Yeah, I mean, the the, the basic premise is that like, ultimately, like you said, governments want to make sure that people aren't essentially, from their perspective, cheating the tax system, right? Um, that companies aren't taking advantage of... Uh, of labor where they're not having to be subjected to PAOE and so on. But it's, you know, like an awful lot of government initiatives, it's relatively uh, naive in terms of what companies actually need and want. Um, and yeah, there's the changes have been, have sent legitimate shockwaves to the contractor market, right? The, the potential changes, uh, as with everything that comes from the government, there was an awful lot of ambiguity around what it, what was actually going to happen, what was going to change, what it was going to mean for individuals, what it was going to mean for companies, whether the uh, contractors were going to be the ones that were potentially liable or at legal risk, or whether it was going to be the employers that were going to be the ones that were liable. There was there was an awful lot of ambiguity, and now, you know, now it's been kicked further down the line due to coronavirus and probably other factors as well but it's you know it's there's still uh, there's still an awful lot of companies that have already made significant changes um and yeah the the impact has been pretty enormous to be honest with you is, is it worth just just covering what the actual the actual change is so sure. if i understand correctly it was in this coming month it was going to um 
yeah, it, it was going to change. So the it wasn't the the contractor's responsibility to define if it was inside or outside IR35. It was the company's um, responsibility. Is that right? Correct. Yes. Um, okay. So, so that gives us a little bit of background. And I think what we started to see was a lot of companies just saying that all of the contracts were going to fall inside IR35. So even before the um, the pandemic, we started to see this this fall off in contracts which were outside IR35. Is that is that about right? Yeah. So the like obviously the big the biggest um, impact happened with companies that have a, a large contractor workforce, right? So they, you know, to simplify it even further, the the idea is that if you are a contractor and the work that you're doing and your your relationship with the with your client or the employer in this case is deemed to be essentially the same as a what an employee would have, then you're you're deemed to fall inside IR thirty five. Right now, the implications of that are that you don't get the same tax benefits and so on of being a contractor, and the potential impact on the company is that like they have to take certain measures to afford you the same treatment as the rest of their employees right so that you know one of the less tangible benefits of a contract of being a contractor is you don't necessarily have to drink the kool-aid like the rest of the employees do and you can you can kind of act independently uh, whereas if you if the the client or the employer is obligated to treat you the same as the rest of their employees then it kind of it impacts those those sorts of little benefits as well but uh yeah so the expectation was is that companies had to assess their entire workforce, their entire contractor workforce to see if they fall inside or outside. And realistically, in an awful lot of cases, um, people fell inside of IR35. Um, companies had never really gone to any significant lengths to uh, to engage with contractors under the guise that they are expected to from the government's perspective in the sense that you know you should be working on a very explicit clear project with a clearly defined goal and all of these things um because there was very little enforcement up until now right now all of a sudden they're talking about significant fines and they're talking about you know potential legal action in some cases so it became a very scary prospect especially for the bigger companies uh less so i guess less of a less of a concern for smaller companies like startups and so on but still something that they want to you know that they want to pay attention to but yeah it's it's already had a significant shake up i mean there's been some very very large corporations that have already made um have have already let go of a lot of their contractor contractor workforce because they just the the organizational change required to shift them to inside our 35 was just untenable for them right so yeah and i think it's worth mentioning that the government has postponed the ir35 decisions but quite a lot of the actual impact of, of the announcement that had already happened by that point. So the, um, the contractors were already on the market. Um, I, I said this affects per markets as well, because there's a lot of contractors on the market. Um, and I, and I think there's, there's starting to be a bit of a move with contractors going to take perm jobs. I've, I've taken a perm job after six years of contracting now. Um, me too. <laughs> well, have you? Congratulations. Yeah. 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 So yeah, I've been contracting as well for probably three or four years now. Um, and I, it wasn't explicitly because of our 35, but it was certainly a factor, right? So towards the, uh, I suppose midway through last year, I went, I went into a permanent role as well. So interesting. And I mean, that, that's kind of talking about the stuff that happened before the pandemic, but now, now we've got the pandemic, um, 
I, I think there was lots of people made redundant as a result of the pandemic. Certainly contractors, I, I've heard about vast swathes of contractors in every industry going really, um, being let go, even permanent people. We've, we've got the furlough scheme designed to hold on to jobs. Um, hopefully that, that will help, but I still think, and um, well, I ask your opinion as well here, Stevie, that we're going to see some more um, more redundancies coming after that. I, I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. I'm afraid it will. Uh, the the current like the current wave of redundancies and furloughs and so on um, was inevitable. It, as soon as as soon as most companies were forced into a position where they had to go into into lockdown and put all of their uh, put their entire workforce into a remote first scenario. Um, it was very, very clear to me, at least, that um, there were going to be an awful lot of companies who were going to struggle with that transition, right? There was an awful lot of companies who were just very, very poorly equipped, um, who didn't have the kind of logistical infrastructure, but also the the kind of working culture to support that transition. Um, but then you factor that in with the even bigger impact of how, you know, the economic effects that this has had on companies and how it's affected like their, you know, their their roadmap and their sales pipelines and so on. It was inevitable that companies were going to, see that, uh, the majority of companies were going to struggle to maintain their, their trajectory when it came to their revenue growth, um, which then in turn is naturally going to have effect on, on their staffing numbers, right? It, with pretty much every company, staffing is their biggest cost and prior to the coronavirus situation uh, particularly in the tech space well almost entirely in the tech space most companies were effectively hiring for growth as opposed to sustainability right like they were hiring teams left right and center engineers and designers product people you name it across the board they were growing their staffing numbers because the expectation was is that the market's there for them to take and you know if we have if we have enough people focused on the problem we can the the revenue will subsequently follow eventually right um and that's why there's so many tech startups so many tech companies in general out there that have you know hundreds of employees and still aren't profitable right and all of a sudden when the economy when the economy takes a hit that it's taken and your company isn't profitable and you've got less than 12 months runway then you know it's it's inevitable you're going to have to look at how how many people you've thrown at this problem right so the yeah so as a result we've seen a, an awful number of redundancies happening a huge number of furloughs happening with massive uncertainty and i think i don't think we've seen the end of it i think the the big impact that's going to come is the the companies that when even when we come out the other end of this there are going to be companies that just simply can't survive um apologies for my next door neighbor's dog who's currently back that's fine. Um, there's going to be an awful lot of companies who just simply can't survive right their their trajectory will be significantly slower and smaller their the their, their there's a significantly um, uh, there's a lot fewer VCs and investment firms in general willing to willing to take risks right now. So it's significant. It's harder than it's ever been, arguably, to raise money right now. Um, so just getting that cash in the bank to make sure that you can continue to pay your employees is is becoming extraordinarily difficult. Right. 
So I think what you will find, unfortunately, is that a lot of very interesting companies with some really good ideas and some good products are actually going to fold. I think that's the next significant uh, impact from all of this. Interesting. Okay, so I, I want to um, look at some of the positives and the and the, the things that we can try and um, not just be negative about this whole situation. Before I do, though, I just wanted to ask you, um, one of the things that I've seen um, is contractors reducing their rates quite significantly just in a supply and demand situation. Um, you know, you, 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 there's a lot of you on the market, you have to reduce, reduce your rates. Is that something you're seeing for both perm and um, contract? Is it just contracts? What's the... It's a bit too early to predict on the permanent side at the moment. Uh, there isn't really any significant data out there to uh, accurately gauge whether there's been an impact on permanent salaries. Um, I think it is inevitable. I mean, I have my own, I have plenty of my own anecdotal data to suggest that there is um, that the permanent market's taking a hit. But the, uh, I, I do think it's inevitable that companies are going to find themselves hiring people. Uh, for salaries lower than that they would typically expect to pay. Um, the fact is, is that the job market's taken an enormous hit, right? So it's this whole supply and demand situation has completely turned on its head. We've unfortunately now gone back to the the old days where the companies held most of the power, right? Which is what led to a, you know, what led to some pretty terrible practices, hiring practices in the first place. But uh, yeah, at the moment, companies are really you know, tightening the purse strings everywhere they can find it. And that includes the few companies that are still in a position to hire. So they're having to reassess all of their the salaries that they're having to, that they're putting on the table for people and so on. Um, I think I think an awful lot of companies are, are currently hyper aware of what the, uh, what, how much they're going to be paying people over the next 12 months in terms of new people joining the company. Um, prior to this, you know, a lot of those decisions were made on the fly, depending on the candidate and so on. Whereas now I think you're finding a lot more companies have uh, a very uh, a very clear idea in terms of what salary ranges they can pay, what they can afford, what's sustainable for them and so on. Um, and, that, and those decisions are usually made by the finance teams. Um, and those decisions are usually usually are on the side of caution, right? As little as as little as we can get away with, essentially, is is the thought process. Um, sorry, I could have sworn you said we were going to be talking about something positive. <laughs> no, so I was I was going to extract the one bit of good information that said that you said in there, and that is that companies are still hiring, right? So, yes. Um, yes. It, it, however bad the economy is, companies are still hiring, and I I think that um, you kind of have to take a step back and look at the situation that we're in to understand what the hiring, what who's actually hiring. I think um, uh, travel, things like that. Those, the, you know, they're the, they're the ones that definitely aren't hiring. They're furloughing, possibly doing redundancy, things like that. Is there any particular section sectors that you've noticed are rapidly hiring at the moment? Is there? Have you got any uh, guidance, people in that sort of area? Again, I think it's too early to tell in terms of the long-term sustainability of the these spikes that we're seeing right so there was an awful lot like just to be clear to anyone listening who um the majority of people who are listening who probably never encountered me before like my pretty much my entire career and expertise has been in the startup space right so it's the startup space that i know best um and in the startup space the you know, you have an awful lot of relatively new startups that have 
popped up over the last couple of years that focus on um you know the concept of food delivery so like you know there's niche versions of hello fresh and things like that um where you get you know all sorts of grocery boxes or whatever delivered to your home um before the whole coronavirus situation there was an awful lot of those starting to pop up um you know lunch delivery type companies uh where they you know make your restaurant quality meal and deliver it to your home and all of those things um they're obviously doing extremely well and uh, you've got some really unusual sectors that are doing extraordinarily well really depressing ones like you know the 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 death tech space like the likes of I know that um, Fairwill, for example, are doing extraordinarily well right now. They're seeing a massive uptick in people using their service to um, to get their will in place, which is uh, just a good idea in general, regardless of coronavirus. But companies like that are seeing a huge uptick, and as a result, you know they're they are hiring, and there are some interesting interesting areas like um, the the education sector within tech, like companies like Memorize and so on, who are seeing, you know, who are seeing a rapid uptake in their services and a lot, uh, some pretty significant user growth. Um, but I think an, a lot, an awful lot of that is temporary, right? We are all in a very strange situation right now, right? We're all stuck at home and it's not permanent, right? It's before the end of this year, I think the majority majority of us will be back to work in some capacity, right? Uh, a lot of us will be back in, you know, back to our regular commute and a lot of us will be back to work in physical offices. Not all of us, um, but a lot of us will be. And I think when that situation happens, like when, we, when we're no longer confined to our homes, again, you're going to see a significant shift in terms of, um, you know, patterns and, and behavior around uh, what people want and need and so on for their, you know, to maintain their, their daily lives. And I think a lot of the spikes at the moment are ju- are very much just that, the spikes. Um, it's very hard to, I think, like, there's a good predictor in terms of if you if you are looking at the job market, I mean, fortunately, there's a lot of companies, a lot of organizations out there that have put together lists of tech companies and so on that are still actively hiring during this. Um, A lot of those are interesting indicators of what startups are potentially um, are potentially going to be able to ride this wave out and continue to grow when everything starts to return to normal. Uh, But yeah, at the moment, there are some interesting opportunities to have in some spaces, but I I wouldn't, I'd be cautious to advise anyone to place too much emphasis on um, on the very sudden rapid growth some areas have had because of this very unusual situation, because this situation is temporary. I guess agility has a factor in it, right? And and startups will have the benefit of being more agile and be able to respond to the market and, you know, deal, deal, deal appropriately with it. Whereas some of the bigger, I mean, certainly from the, the jobs that I was speaking to, the bigger companies were basically shutting down any costs that they could. So people are doing a lot of remote interviews, solely remote interviews at the moment, I guess. Uh, have you have you much experience with remote interviews? Have you got any tips for people? Yeah, uh, it's it's fascinating for me. Um, the so just to caveat all of this, right? Prior to this whole situation, um, the vast majority of companies um, and teams hiring were just generally really bad at interviewing anyway. 
right? So the default is, is that most people, most companies are not very good at interviewing in the first place. Um, and then when you shift to a situation where they're having to interview people exclusively remotely, it's inevitable they're going to be even worse, right? So uh, a lot of places are having to make serious, serious changes in order to be able to um, figure out how to still hire great people um, whilst having never met them in person. Um, we've had, you know, I, I'm currently in, well, I'm the director of talent at a company called Primitive who are still hiring in a reduced capacity. Um, but I'm still having to uh, organize and participate in quite a few virtual interviews. And it's fascinating in the sense that um, we've, you know, we're, we're quite fortunate in that we have quite an experienced um, people and talent team. And, you know, I, I work with uh, Maria Campbell, who was previously the head of people at Monzo and GoCardless. And between the two of us, we've, you know, we've got quite a, and the rest of our team as well, we've got quite a, a significant amount of experience handling um, shifts to interviewing and hiring and so on. So we've, we have the autonomy and the opportunity to, to try things differently. Um, and we, because our hiring capacity has scaled back quite a bit, we've also got the, um, we've got the opportunity to, you know, to test different approaches and, and measure different approaches. But most companies aren't equipped to do that. Most companies aren't equipped to test and measure their approaches. They're just having to make rapid changes and roll with it, right? And what, what I found really interesting is the one thing that didn't happen is I haven't seen any real significant change in behavior or change in approach from the job applicant side, the people that were interviewing. Um, it's it's quite fascinating how, from my own direct experience, an awful lot of people aren't just simply aren't appropriately preparing for their interviews. Um, in the sense of you know, they're walking around their house on their mobile phone was during the interview, you know, with the, the, the phone as their camera. Uh, you know, I have had some interesting interviews with people who have been, um, you know, making some questionable choices whilst their camera is on. Um, I can't go into any detail, unfortunately, but, you know, it's, it's I find it fascinating how, like, there's the fact is is that there, there's still effort required on both sides right there's there's effort required on the company side to be organized and to be structured and to have a, a good approach to how we're going to spend the next hour or two hours interviewing you whatever the case may be but equally there's still effort from the the in, interviewee side right you need to put where possible you need to find an environment where you can concentrate and focus and not ha and not have various distractions around you it's not possible for everyone um some people are in difficult situations where they have, you know, where they might not have the greatest internet connection or they have a small place and they're sharing with a bunch of people and so on. It's, it is difficult. I, I respect that. But still, you, you know, you still need to put in the effort in terms of a, at least the top half of your appearance for a start. Right? <laughs> you need to, uh, you need to just for, for a couple of hours, put your hoodie to one side and just, you know, try and make yourself look some bit presentable. Because the fact is, there is a very unfair and very heavy shift towards the um, the unreasonable aspects of um, how people perceive a person's suitability for a job right now, right? 
Um, when I talked earlier about how most companies aren't equipped for this, they're interviewing. The fact is, is interviewing is is a science to a degree, right? There's realistically the only people who can do an, an exceptional job of interviewing people are like trained psychologists, right? And psychiatrists. They're, they're the people who can interview people really, really well. The rest of us are just kind of figuring it out as we go along. And typically people follow patterns that have worked for them in the past, right? Now, unfortunately, what that means is that there's an enormous amount of bias creeping in, right? There was a, already a huge amount of bias involved in interviewing in the first place, but now even more so when you're in a virtual scenario, right? The fact is it's, it is completely unfair and it's completely unreasonable. And in a lot of cases, it's borderline illegal, but there are people making judgments about uh, job applicants based on the physical environment that they're in, right? If they happen to have a room or an apartment or a place that doesn't look particularly appealing or you know you happen to have the wrong poster on the wall behind you or whatever the case may be people are making really terrible judgments about that right and you know again physical appearance and tone and all of these things things that have no basis for in terms of your suitability for the job the fact is is that an awful lot of people are making really really poor judgments based on that and unfortunately it is the reality and you have to take as you have to take as many precautions as you can to, to mitigate those things right so just you know putting in a putting in a bit of effort in terms of how you present yourself right work on the default assumption that you're going to be assessed unfairly because right now most people are being assessed unfairly that's that's really useful i think that's really good tip. any other tips you'd want to add on to that or is that the the main ones uh I think the the other significant piece that's worth keeping in mind, like legitimate, helpful advice, um, aside from all the doom and gloom, is the fact that if if a company is hiring right now, there's a high probability they're getting an awful lot of applications for that same role, unless it's a particularly niche one, um, which means they're likely to be interviewing a lot more people. Um, and you know, everyone's familiar with the concept of Zoom fatigue and so on at the moment. So everyone's spending far too much time on video calls. So all of these interviews can, you know, it's not particularly um, uncommon for them all to kind of blend into one, right? So one area where you can certainly give yourself an advantage is by maintaining communication away from that face from that face-to-face interview by, you know, following up by email uh, and, you know, jumping onto LinkedIn and sending a connection request after the interview or before the interview so that you're giving yourself that extra opportunity to um, stand out from the myriad of video conversations that they've had over the past God knows how long with their own colleagues, but with other people interviewing and so on, giving yourself that extra opportunity to just stay memorable, right? Um, It's even before all of this, it's it's a very straightforward thing that just most people don't do, right? And it's you know it never ever ever hurts after an interview give it 15 20 minutes and drop a quick email to the person or the people that were interviewing you thanking them for their time maybe adding an additional question that you forgot to ask during the interview and uh and asking them approximately when you can expect them to be in a position to make a decision right keep it nice and short and simple and sweet um but that additional point of contact after the interview is is honestly is enough in a lot of cases to to make you that little bit more memorable. Yeah, that's really nice. The, the other thing I picked up is just questions. Have good questions ready. I mean, you can 
you can even Google what good questions are to ask, but there's there's some really good questions that you can really get the people realizing that you're thinking about things and, and approaching it from the right angle. Yep, absolutely. Okay. Um, questions have been have never been more important, right? Especially with everything that you and I are just discussing now. We now more than ever, it's essential to be asking about, you know, the company's um financial health and future and roadmap and so on these are not inappropriate questions to ask any organization how much money they're going to have left for yeah. how long kind of thing absolutely. how long can you keep afford to pay me <laughs> yeah absolutely it's like they are completely like they were completely appropriate questions before all of this started they're even more more appropriate now um but it is essential that you that people are asking those questions right now yep okay so that that covers people um that are looking now there's there's a, a big group of people that are furloughed at the moment that may or may not have a job at some point. So I guess they're in the back of their minds, they're thinking um, that they should be doing something to try and improve their chances of being employed later on. Um, I mean, from my point of view, doing personal projects, having things to talk about, playing with new tech, though that's kind of the angle that I'd approach it from, just trying to have new interesting projects to talk about. If you can spend an interview talking about your stuff um, that you're passionate about, it always works really well, I've found. But is, is there anything particular people should be doing with their furlough time that you think might help them? Looking after their own mental health first and foremost. Um, they, they, there is so many people in the same boat, right? There's, they, it's, it's very hard for individuals who've been furloughed or made redundant right now to um, conceptualize just how many people and in that are going to be in the job market that are in the job market that are in the exact same boat as them. Um, the the, the short version of that is that it's more than there's ever been, right? So the, there is a huge number of people that are in this situation right now. Um, and we, people who are hiring, people like me, people who will be continuing to hire over the next five, six, seven, eight years, we, we are going to see the effects of this for the next, for the next decade in the sense of, you know, you fast forward five years and I absolutely guarantee you, no matter what I'm hiring for, I am going to be very regularly coming across CVs where there are big blocks of time during January 2020 to December 2020 or whatever the case may be, where there is no real substance to that person's CV, right? And there is going to be an obligation for the industry as a whole to collectively agree to give very little credence to what people do during this time right like we have to essentially work on the assumption that uh if there is a six month period of time in, during 2020 where a person wasn't working you simply have to give them the benefit of the doubt and not judge them for that right it's going to be very difficult and not everyone's going to do that but <clears throat> excuse me to expect um, people to maintain their career progression, to expect people to um, to continue to fill their time with work at this particular point in history is is completely unreasonable. Right now, if you are in a position where you can, you know, chip away at side projects and build something new yourself, or you know, scratch some of your own itches in terms of projects that you that you've been wanting to get stuck into, maybe you've got a few hundred domains that you've bought over the years and never actually did anything with them and you've got the opportunity now to to start toying around yeah of course that's going to be massively helpful um it's it's always helpful to have to have something to be able to point to something to say you know this well 
I, I was out of work for X amount of time, but during that time, I went and built out this particular thing for myself to solve my own problem in this area. But not everyone's in, a, in that position. Not everyone's in a position to be able to do that. Um, and I think it's more important that like people recognize that there is a huge volume of people that are in that position, right? There's a huge volume of people who are currently out of work or, or facing the prospect of being out of work for potentially a period of time. Um, my hope, my sincere hope is that, you know, we as, a, as an industry as a whole collectively agree to just ignore these gaps that are going to be appearing in an awful lot of people's CVs. Um, yes, if you have the opportunity, if you are in that position to, like I said, like, you know, like you're saying yourself, work in side projects or take up some online courses or whatever the case may be, it's not going to do you any harm whatsoever. It's, it's, if you can do it, absolutely go for it. Yeah, I, I like what you said there though. It's, it, it's the, it's your own health, mental and physical health that has to be the, 100%. the priority at times like this. That makes sense. Okay. But it's, all, it's also a great opportunity for people to reassess the, their own career project trajectory right i mean there's you know if you're a developer that's you know that's been making good progress in your career but you've always been tempted by the route of product management for example um and it's something that you always want to explore well this is the opportunity for you to try a different direction in your career right there's there's the impact of all of this is going to is long term, right? It's not just going to be three to six months or whatever the case may be. In terms of how it impacts people's careers and and job opportunities and so on, there's going to be an awful lot of people taking up jobs just to fill the gap that they're going to drop very quickly if the job market comes back. So now is an, a prime opportunity if the opportunity if the opportunity is there for you to try a different direction as well in your career. Yeah, yeah, I think it's. Um... As, as so much stuff's changing as well, it's worth looking around and seeing what's going on in your local community, seeing who needs help with various different things. And I think there's a lot of companies that are struggling to to adapt to the new world. And, and as an industry, we're quite well placed to help them. So um, there's a lot we can do there. We, we mentioned honest work earlier. Do you want to yeah. do you want to talk a little bit about um, what honest work was, what it's becoming, what your what your plans are there, really? Sure. Uh, so. I started exploring um, an idea. I've been, you know, anyone who's who's ever encountered or had the misfortune of encountering me on Twitter will know that I've, you know, I tend to have a very negative perspective on the state of um, hiring and the hiring industry and the recruitment industry as, as a whole. Um, and I've held that position now for quite some time. And over the years, I've had many, many different um ideas in terms of what could be done to fix it um and then i became very very close friends with a gentleman called tom speak who is an incredible incredible engineer um and an even better person and he essentially uh forced me to actually give these ideas some proper thought and come up with the solution that i think would actually work um, he was the one that extracted the, that solution from my head, from the mess that was my head in terms of all of these ideas, um, and convinced me that he could build that solution. So we set about building what we felt was um, an, a, a really great solution for specifically for job seekers. Um, when we got into the depths of it, we realized that it was a lot more involved than what we had expected. Um, 
However, we also knew that we, in order to fill the gap, we could very easily and quickly just roll out a job board, a tech job board that was better than the rubbish that exists out there. We, we had a very straightforward premise that every single job on our job board would be posted directly by the employer for a start, so no recruitment agencies, and that every single job um, was required to include a salary, uh, an actual number for a salary or an actual number for a day rate for a contract, um, as as well as in, insight into the interview process, right? So it's basic things that should have existed already. And um, it, it, it was very little effort for us to produce that job board and put it out there, which was a nice placeholder whilst we chipped away at the bigger the bigger picture that we wanted to um, that we wanted to publish. What we what we didn't expect, um, which was very naive considering this wasn't my first time running a job board, was that the job board very quickly became a full time job for both of us. Right, we ended up spending all of our time maintaining and and evolving and um, managing the job board which is not something either of us wanted. Um, neither of us wanted to run a job board. We, we, what we were working on was much, 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 much bigger than that. Uh, and a recent point where just, it became too frustrating, right? We, we both completely coincidentally were, were um, presented with opportunities at different companies for a full-time role. Tom was uh, presented with an opportunity to join Twitter full-time. Uh, I was presented with an incredible opportunity to join Permutive full-time. And that quite literally happened within a couple of weeks of each other. Um, and we, at the time, both agreed, let's park the job board, let's put it all on hold, let's not spend any more time um, charging companies money for something that we don't, we fundamentally believe doesn't work. Um, the, the Our biggest takeaway, probably the one phrase that was uttered the most throughout the lifetime of Honest Work was that job boards don't work. Um, and we decided to just to just pull it. We parted completely, um, and we put everything on hold, and decided to you know spend time focusing on our careers and thinking more about the bigger picture of what we wanted to do with honest work. And uh, in the last few months, we have collected our thoughts and we've started working again on that bigger idea. Um, We've actually made some wonderful progress. We've just started talking to um, to some incredible designers to start building out the um, the designs for the actual platform that we want to release. Um, we're hoping to have something up and running by the end of this year, but it, but we're we're intentionally taking our time with it. Right, we're not going to make the same mistake of releasing something that neither of us believe in um, or are are excited by. We think we have um, we think we have a very unique solution to a, a lot of problems that both job seekers and companies face. Again, the surprising factor is that we weren't able to consider what would happen if there was a global pandemic. Um, so we haven't really come to a conclusion yet as to whether the timing is amazing or whether the timing is utterly awful. Um, we're still debating that. But we know that we can. We know that what we 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 can produce would be incredibly useful to those that are um, actively looking for work. Our concern is that there just isn't enough work out there to sustain it. Um, so that's something we're investigating. We're doing a lot, spending a lot of time researching that at the moment, talking to a lot of different companies, and you know, um, and trying to figure out whether or not the timing is right. But hopefully, 
hopefully, fingers crossed, you'll see us back up and running before the end of this year. And it'll be completely different to anything people have seen from Honest Work before. Ah, sounds very exciting. Okay, thank you for um, that. Okay, so I'd just like to take a sort of zoom out. We've looked at what the what the problem is. We've tried to find ways that people might be able to um, to help themselves. Just, just this is the kind of the really difficult bit. Really, is is looking looking forward. What what do we see for the future of work? What what's actually going to change? I, I mean, I guess the first thing is is how are companies coping, and are the companies even going to survive? I think we're going to see quite a few companies just falling off, aren't we, and not not even getting through this. I think that's inevitable. I think. Uh, especially in the startup space, you're going to see an awful lot of companies fold, um, which is unfortunate, but it's also potentially exciting for those that are able to survive in the sense that if they can survive through this and continue to grow afterwards, then that's a massively positive signal in terms of the viability of what they're doing like this, the, 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 you know, the trajectory of those companies is potentially going to be enormous after all of this. Um, I think the the one massive positive that I'm really holding out hope holding out hope for. I mean, to blow my own horn for a second, I've been, a bunch of predictions I've made around how this affects hiring and how this affects oh, history, how this affects like you know a bunch of predictions that I made have have come to fruition. There's one prediction that I'm making that I honestly am really praying to every God out there will come true is that this will be the final nail in the coffin for open plan offices. Um, the, I know that like, for example, a primitive where I'm working, you know, we had just moved into an incredible space in, um, in Farringdon. We invested a huge amount of time and money into setting up this wonderful new office. Um, and now we're finding ourselves in a position of having to completely reassess that space, right? We now know that, I mean, I didn't have a say in the fact that it was all open plan in the first place, but I am very much having a say in the fact that the fact that it's open plan needs to, needs to die uh, a very rapid death. Um, and we're currently looking at all of the different options to effectively refit that office to, um, to be safer and more appropriate given this circumstance that we're all facing, right? Um, the fact is, is that, you know, this might not be the only pandemic. It's unlikely that this is the only pandemic we'll ever face, right? And we are now all more aware of, you know, general hygiene and and so on. We can do a better job. We know that an open plan office is not suitable. So let's come up with a, with a better idea for that space. And I'm hoping that that's going to be the case. I'm predicting that that's going to be the case for most companies. And, you know, it was obviously it was a bit of a meme that people hated open plan offices. I think now it's very much a reality that open plan offices are going to be frowned upon. Um, so I think you'll I think you'll also I think you're already seeing an inevitable drop in rental spaces in London for offices. I mean, the cost of renting an office in London in particular was just disgusting. Right. Um that's obviously taken a massive hit, which is no bad thing. Um, I think you, um, yeah, I think that things like co-working spaces are going to, are well, obviously they're already suffering, but long-term, I think you're going to see almost all of them um, effectively disappear. You're going to have to see, if you, there's going to be a, a massive industry shift in terms of how those co-working spaces are going to work in the future. 
um, if at all. Mm. So I think I think you'll see the bulk of changes being around like the kind of the day-to-day environment under which people work. Um, you're going to see a lot fewer people return to work in the first place. You know, we're already having to factor in like from the workforce that we have, how many of those, even though prior to all of this, maybe 90, 95% of our employees worked on site in the office, we now know that it's likely to be closer to 20, 25% of those people at least are going to want to stay working remotely primarily after this, right? Um, and yep, we're, trying to measure, we're trying to measure that. Um, so that has another knock-on effect. Even if we all are allowed to go back to the office tomorrow, that's going to affect things like rental prices as well because suddenly companies are going to find that they need less space, right? Um, and it's going to be a long time before companies are going to need bigger spaces um, and expand their office space and so on. So I have heard a few stories of it going the other way where they kind of want to space, they get bigger offices to space the employees more. So, I, But yeah, I think there's going to be more at home to, to counter that, won't there? Yeah, I think... I think the one one significant benefit of all of this situation is the fact that companies have no choice but to adapt to allowing people to work remotely. Right now, having worked remotely myself for an awful long time, as well as having worked on site in incredible offices and offer trash offices, you know, I've I've over the years come to the conclusion that I like a bit of a blend of both. Right, I I. I don't like working remotely entirely anymore. It's, you know, I do enjoy being in an office to a degree, but I also don't like commuting into an office every single day, right? Um, And you're going to find that this situation where everyone's having to work from home for, you know, 8 to 12 to 20 weeks, however long it's going to be, an awful lot of people who were convinced that they they wanted to work remotely full-time are going to realize that it's not for them. an awful lot of people who never even considered working remotely full time are going to realize that this is their perfect setup. Um, you're going to ultimately what you're going to see is you're going to see a huge rise in the number of people who want either a hybrid scenario where they spend some of their time in the office, some of their time at home, or a full time remote position. And companies are are already having to test all of that, right? They're already having to adapt. They're already pretty much every company out there already knows by now which teams are able to work as effectively or arguably more effectively if they're if they're working remotely. So yeah, I think I think it's going to be really interesting to see what the environment looks like when when all of this settles down a bit. Yeah, I think things are going to keep changing for a fair while, aren't they? Yeah, a, a very very long time. I think we won't think we won't see any real consistency for at least a year and a half, I reckon. Hmm. All right, Stevie. I think I've got uh, to the end of all of my questions. Really, that was that was really useful. Is there anything else you want to add just before we uh, finish up? I think uh, I think just to reiterate what I believe is the most important point, right? Which is the f- fundamentally, no one knows what they're doing at the moment, right? Like companies, any company that claims to you know have it all figured out is full of shit. Any person that believes that they are, you know, that their career is going to, is going to take a massive detrimental hit is, is probably being too harsh on themselves. There is a massive, massive, massive number of people, incredibly talented people who are going to be left with significant gaps on their CV after this. Not everyone is in a position to fill those gaps with, you know, side projects or home learning or whatever the case may be. And that is honestly absolutely fine. I think, 
ultimately, if there if there's anyone out there that wants this wants to have a positive impact in terms of how all of this turns out, then I think the main thing is that they they join me and a bunch of others in this collective agreement that we basically pretend 2020 didn't happen when it comes to people's work experience and um and we you know we we look beyond the gaps in people's cvs for the next 10 years and we we focus on you know we focus on what they did before that and what they did after that not what they did during it please don't ever ask the question how did you spend your time during lockdown and actually try and assess people based on their answer it's you know that floated around twitter there for a long time and it's one of the worst things you could possibly ask people. surviving <laughs> yeah exactly exactly yeah. look after yourself and, that's, and the family yeah yeah looking after yourself and the, your loved ones is the only thing you could be expected to do absolutely i think that's a really good note to uh, to leave it on there thank you very much Stevie. my pleasure mate thanks for having me no worries bye-bye take care